It's great to see you here this morning. And uh, welcome to everybody who's visiting us today. It's really awesome to have you with us. It's great to have Pastor Des Kennedy from Brisbane, who's the, either the uh, service pastor, I understand, from Brisbane City Hillsong Church. So a great welcome to you uh, this morning. It's wonderful to have you with us. Give him a welcome today. I haven't actually met you yet, but I quickly asked Paul, so he's, Paul Cargill's told me. <laughs> but it's also awesome to have Julia back this morning. Stand up, Julia. We've just got to see you. There really is Julia. So what happened was Carl decided to change places with Julia. She's now the new senior pastor, and he's campus pastor out at Selwyn. So that's good, eh? It's awesome. And so it's wonderful to have you there. Has it been eight weeks since you started? This is the ninth Sunday that, since Selwyn began. So Carl and Andrew are out there this morning. And uh, actually, you're going to come and MC later, aren't you? And you're correcting my theology and all that stuff. Is that what Carl told you to do? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. Now, I've been given strict instructions. You've given me 23 minutes. Now, wait a minute. I'm going to have 30. 20, oh, it's going up. Awesome. 29, 30. Thank you. How about that? I've been given strict instructions that the team comes up. If I go too long, they stand behind you. And if you go further, they start singing. And if they go further, they start clapping. And then they get you standing and, you know, I just leave with my tail between my legs. So that's cool. We'll see what happens, eh? Jill and I recently had a trip overseas. And uh, we've been back about three weeks or so now. And on the last week of that trip, we had a small boat cruise around the coast of Croatia. Very beautiful, yes. In fact, I've got a picture of one of the places you went to up there. Can we have those funny blue things off for a minute? At the, is that okay? Can we do that so we can get the, the clear picture better? I'm waiting. You can add 10 seconds back to my sermon. Yeah, there we go. place called Makaska. And on the Monday, we left on Sunday morning, the second day of the cruise on the small boat. On the Monday, we arrived at this place called Makaska about midday and discovered that someone had taken the berth of the boat, right? And there was rumor of a bit of a wind coming, so the captain then moored at the breakwater. And we'd been there 10 minutes when suddenly this huge wind, I mean really huge wind, just struck us. It was, gust, it was 120 k's per hour for quite a, a season of time and gusting far, much further than that. And I mean, what was happening over the next few hours that uh, deck chairs and life jackets and kayaks all went airborne and left the boat, and uh, there was damage to the top of the boat with the canopy on the outside and all this sort of stuff, and it was, you know, it was really quite, quite something. And you have got to get this, too, that everything was exterior. So you had the dining room and the, and the public areas. You had to go out the exterior door, and then you had to go down some steps, and then you had to walk around, get into your cabin on an exterior door. And, of course, here we have this 120K and gusting further wind howling. It took two or three people to try and open a door so you could get through it and get safely through the other side. It was really quite something. And so during a less violent moment in the storm, we managed to get down to our cabin, and uh, we were stuck in there for six or seven hours, just... In this tiny little room, there was water leaking in and around the door and under the door, and it was mostly spray from the wind that was blowing up the sea, you know. And uh, there was banging and crashing going around all over the boat, and we had really no idea what was going on. So it went all that day, from midday, all that night, all the next day, Tuesday, Tuesday night, until 6 a.m. Wednesday morning when the wind finally died down. 
And there had been rumors on the Tuesday that we might just stay at this place even longer. And we're going, well, it's only a seven-day, you know, an eight-day cruise, so we're going to get stuck in this place. We already missed some of our places. So anyway, 6 o'clock, after 42 hours, this wind finally died down, and we managed to leave 10.30 in the morning. There's a photo of the boat, actually. Someone, someone took that. I don't know when it was during those 42 hours, but someone on the shore I've zoomed in from way back there, and it was on the local newspaper saying something about, you know, you too could have been on this boat during the storm. So you can see, and we were sort of stuck in, we were in this back little corner down there where the, you know, it's quite fun, isn't it? Awesome. But you know something interesting? Those 42 hours seem like they would never end. Who understands that? Because 42 hours isn't great time, is it? But out of seven days... Eight, you know, seven and a half days, it's a, quite a chunk of your holiday, isn't it? And it's sort of ruining, and it was you're like, oh, help, it was unpleasant, it was a bit unnerving, to be honest. And, you know, because most of the time you're sort of leaning on, on the side, you know, as the wind was blowing broadside. And we missed out quite a few of our ports of call. But now it's just another good, you know, story, and it's going to be part of my memoirs <laughs> that I'll write later. Of course, that's nothing compared with a lot of life's problems that hit us, right? But who knows that life throws at us so many difficulties and things that happen in our lives when we go through traumatic experiences, maybe relationship conflicts or loss of a loved one or financial crises or ongoing health issues. And some of these things can go on for months or even years. And in the midst of extremely trying and difficult circumstances, I've had people come to me often and say something like this. If I didn't know the Lord, I don't know how I would have got through. Or how do people that don't trust in Jesus, how do they cope with it? I guess you've heard that, haven't you? Or you might have even said it yourself at times. So here's a question this morning. How do you cope when tough times come? How do we cope when tough times come? I just thought of something. Did my name come up on the board? Some of you are going, who on earth is this old guy with white hair? It did? What did it say? Oh, it's got Paul? Great. And Bennett's at the end? It's good. Not Paul Cargill? Okay. I've got it right. Floundering pastor? Did it say that? Yeah. Cool. That was it. Okay, that's me. Just checking, right? I'd like to turn very briefly to it this morning to a story that some of you know extremely well. Uh, 1 Samuel 30. I'm not going through all the story or even the end result of the story. Just I'm going to be very selective and uh, you've never had that happen before when someone's preached, I'm sure. Very selective in my verses. 1 Samuel 30. David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag. They found that the Amalekites raided it. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else. So this, who thinks this would be a pretty tough day? Was undoubtedly horrendous for David and his men. They've lost their families, they've lost their homes, they've lost their city, they've lost all their belongings, all just like that. And all our stories are very different in our lives, and we we all go through different things and difficult times, but hopefully not many of us will have to go through the tragedy as large as this one that David and his men went through. Some of you will remember the early days of the church, there's about, I think there's about 30 of us still left from 30-something years ago that are still in the church. It might be even more than that. Who remembers? You know, there was a lovely old lady in our church in those days called Winifred. Who remembers Winifred? 
And she was a great encouragement to many of us. And she'd have encouraging words and words of wisdom. And she'd always have, nearly always have a smile on her face. And what people wouldn't have realized about Winifred was that she was going through some really trying long-term problems. Her husband had kidney problems, and they got so severe that he had to be on dialysis. I can't remember whether it was once or twice a week, but he was on dialysis where she was in charge of the situation, and she would, in the lounge, hook him up to this dialysis machine, which would pump the blood out of him and put it through the machine and purify it because his kidneys couldn't do it, and back through again into his body. And that would take eight hours. And she was in charge of this at night, and it was either once or twice a week, as I said. Sometimes the alarms would go off, and things would really go wrong with the situation, and, and it was very stressful for her, and, that's it, and so on. And, and when I asked her how she coped, she would always say, well, I prayed and worshipped all night. And this process went on for over 10 years. He was on dialysis longer than anyone else in Canterbury at that point of time. And when I was, I was a young pastor once, you know, 30 years ago or so, and when I visited her, I had come away from her more encouraged than I could even possibly do for her. She was like that. And I would sometimes, as a young pastor, share some of my problems and difficulties, and she would have this phrase, and she would say, Paul, this too will pass. Wow. Now, if someone else came to me with that, I'd go, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, yeah, right, you know, it's what, a, what, a, what an annoying little saying. But from someone like Winifred, it was wisdom. And I've remembered it many times since, including my 42 hours and that storm in Croatia. This too better pass. I mean, will pass. Got good news and bad news for you today. Bad news first. We will have difficulties in life. Who knows that? There will be times when things will be really hard and they'll seem like we'll never get through them and it's never going to change. And how am I going to cope with the rest of my life? Using Winifred's words, the good news is this too will pass. And there's no guarantee it might pass here on earth. Hopefully it does. But I'll tell you it will happen one day because Earth, we're just passing through old earth, aren't we? This isn't our final destiny. We're we're, we're destined to be with God for eternity. And whatever doesn't resolve on earth will resolve in his presence. Isn't that good news? Let's go on a little bit further in this 1 Samuel 30. Verse 3. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. The NIV, and, uh, the NIV says they wept aloud until they had no more strength left to weep. Wow, that's, that's pretty graphic, eh? That's raw emotion, don't you think? I mean, that big boys don't cry rubbish is exactly rubbish. You would agree with me on that one. It needs to be thrown out like lots of other stupid ideas that people sometimes say. But when you look through the Bible... You find a lot of great men and women of God wept at some stage or other. And God made us to feel things, right? He made us to feel joy. He made us to feel sadness. He made us to feel excitement. And he made us to feel anger. And if we deny some of these emotions as being weak, then we deny our humanity. It's actually a very unhealthy thing to suppress our emotions. When life gets overwhelming and things happen to us, 
Sometimes it's the best thing you can do is to sit down and have a good weep. It's perfectly acceptable and a very healthy thing to do. But listen, for David, it got a lot worse. Verse 6. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. So not only is David dealing with the tragedy that all the other guys were dealing with, but now their grief has turned into anger and great bitterness, and they want to kill him. Man, what a horrendous predicament David now is in. And think of this, there were 600 men with him. And with David, that's 601. But out of 601 men, only one man knew some keys to help him not to give in to hopelessness and bitterness. And it tells us in verse 6, later on in the same verse, David found strength in the Lord his God. I think the King James or some of the other versions said to us, David encouraged himself in the Lord. He found strength in the Lord his God. How did he do that? These verses here don't actually specifically tell us how he did that. They go on, and I'm not going into it, but they, they go on to tell us what happened after he found encouragement in God and how he encouraged himself in God. But when we read the accounts of David's life and read his Psalms, there's a distinct pattern, I think, that emerges and something which he does many, many times in his life, and I think it's a, a vital key for us today. Let's look at a really familiar Psalm, Psalm 103. Many of you know this really well. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. All my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he spends 17 more verses listing all those wonderful benefits that his benefits, wonderful benefits. <laughs> I like that actually, it's good. Hands up all the other wonderful benefits that there are around. Yeah, there's quite a few of us. We're populating the world, it's good. Spend 17 years, so 17 verses, I'm having real trouble today, 17 verses listing all the benefits of God, right? And then he comes back in verse 22 to his original thought, so praise the Lord, my soul. Now the message paraphrase says this, and you, my soul, bless God. Now, I don't know about you, but I get an amazing image here of a sergeant major. You know, when a sergeant major gets all the new trainees in, he commands them to do all sorts of things, doesn't he? He says, you, polish your boots, you know. Or he says, you, do 50 more press-ups double time, you know. Or whatever, you know. Or you, stand up straighter. And here is David commanding his soul, going, you, soul, praise the Lord. I like that. Did you even realize you can speak to your soul? More than speak, do you realize you can command your soul? And even more than that, don't you think, and I think that it's a really important thing, there's many times in our lives that it's vital for us to command our soul. Some of you are looking very funny right now, but I'm not sure if it's a permanent condition or just because of what I said. I'll find out later. So it now says 14.42.3. Four. What happens? Does it go up to 30? Cool. I thought it was going to go down from 30 to zero. See, I've been waiting for it to get less. I'm thinking, help. Wait till I speak to Carl about this. I don't know. Here's David in the biggest crisis to date in his life, I reckon. 
And he returns to this pattern that he's discovered and proven in his life on many occasions. And in these moments when his life is hanging in the balance, he's saying to himself, come on, soul, praise the Lord. I command you, soul, I command you to start remembering all the benefits that you've had in your life. And the message here says, don't forget a single blessing. So I can hear David going, mm, well, you know, what, what's he done for me? What's he done? I, I remember he rescued me from the bear. Praise the Lord, my soul. Come on, praise him. What else? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah and he, and, he, and he, helped, he rescued me from the lion. Yes, that's right. Come on, soul. I command you, praise the Lord. And, and, oh, yeah, and, and, and he, he helped me defeat Goliath. Yeah, yeah. Come on, soul. I command you, praise the Lord. Are you getting it this morning, aren't you? Remember all the blessings God has brought your way. And so don't you think that because he helped you in the bear and the lion and with Goliath, he's not going to be able to help you now with this situation. He'll continue with you in the midst of every problem that comes in your life. Come on, soul, with everything within me, he says. Come on, soul, praise the Lord. Come on, Paul, Psalm 103 wasn't written during a time of despair. Are you right? Let's find one that was. What about Psalm 42? Who's felt like this sometimes? Psalm 42 verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And here's David having a conversation with his soul again with himself. He's talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. He's going, soul, why are you, why are you so discouraged? You know, why are you feeling so down today? What's going on inside there? And he's doing a bit of self-examination. Good thing to do sometimes. Perfectly good thing for him to do. And when you get the context of this verse, because I've been a bit naughty because I've jumped on a bit, but you know, all preachers are like doing that. We just When you get the context of why he said this, you realize he's actually got very legitimate reasons for feeling as bad as he does. Here's some clues back at the beginning of the the psalm. We know this one well, don't we? Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water. Now, you can gloss over those verses, but you go, if a deer is panting, it's desperately thirsty. Are you with me? It's running out of breath, it's dehydrating, it's at a point when it's dangerous. To, for it doesn't, if it goes much further without water, it's going to probably you know, keel over and die. So it's panting for streams of water. So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Now somehow, this tells me something. He isn't able to go to the temple some, for some reason. He, 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 he would normally have been able to go and meet with God in the temple, but he's going now... When can I go? So he's somehow not able to go and worship. Then he goes, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? So he's somehow with all these, uh, some enemy or some people that are unbelievers, that are going, where's your God, David? Where is he? He's being taunted about his faith. 
And then he goes on, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He's desperately missing being in the house of God, isn't he? Now, David is either in exile here or he's a fugitive from someone or he's, he's been t- taken captive somewhere amidst some hostile people in his life. Maybe it was when Saul was chasing him as he did often to kill him. Whatever it is, he's away from home. He's away from the temple. He's away. He's being harassed by people. He's desperately wanting fellowship with others who love God. Every reason for him to feel discouraged. Don't you agree with me? Then we jump back to verse 5. So here he's asking his question. Why, my soul, are you just, just downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? But he doesn't stop there. He goes and he says, soul, put your hope in God. Soul, I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Here's David. He's commanding his soul again. Soul, put your hope in God. I will, see, I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Come on, soul. Put your hope in God again. Come on, soul. Praise him again. Hope in him. Praise in him. Hope and praise. Come on, my soul. Praise the Lord. I think this is a vital key that David's taught us. If you, if you still don't believe me, go and look at all the Psalms. You're going to find this pattern is there many, many times. It's there right through his troubles. What does he do? He tells, come on, my soul, come on, bless or whatever it is. You know, That's one thing. And then he's another key. 1 Samuel 30 verse 8 tells us, David inquired of the Lord. I like that phrase. He inquired, inquired of the Lord. In other words, in our language, he said, Lord, I need you to help me. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on, but Lord, I need help. In other words, he stirred himself to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that every day there's opportunities to be discouraged. Or even downcast. Or just plain grumpy. And out of sorts, anyone else have day? You know, it's... Every day there's opportunities to do that. But then there are other times in our lives where we're in really grim circumstances and situation is unbearable and we feel deeply, don't we, in those times and we can react, we can get angry about situations, we can weep, we can can feel despondent, we can have all these things and those reactions are really normal, they're part of being human. We can even go through long periods of time when particularly in seasons of grief after the loss of a loved one or something like that. And it's very important for us to be real about our emotions, about our feelings, so we can be healthy human beings. See, that's all the role of our soul. It's part of who we are. It's a vital part of who we are. The soul, the seat of our emotions, our mind, and our will. We feel with our soul. We think with our soul. We imagine with our soul. It's our emotions, our mind, and our will. It's a very much part of how God has made us. But what I've discovered about my soul is that sometimes it wants to control me and keep me captive and keep me living in negative thoughts. I know no one else is like that here. Sometimes in my, in my soul, my, my feelings and my emotions and my imaginations can get wildly out of control. 
I know none of you understand that. It affects all that I do and think when that happens. And when my anxieties and fears become illogical, it's often a product of my imaginations in the area of my mind and emotions. Is anyone with me this morning? Making sense? Those times, I've, I've just got, my soul tells me, I don't feel like praying. My soul tells me, I certainly don't feel like praising. And I certainly find that my feelings in those times are actually very unhelpful to me. Sometimes my soul is actually really unreliable in those times. What can I do about that? I love it that David can help us here. David the shepherd, David the king, David the psalmist, David the man after God's heart. Because he teaches this, this vital lesson. Here it is. In the midst of our difficult times, in the midst of our discouragements, in the midst of times when we're grieving, in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of anything that's going on that's coming against us, there comes a moment when we need to speak to our soul and command it, come on soul, it's now time to hope in God. Come on soul, it's now time to praise God. Come on soul, it's now time to call out to him in prayer. He tells us in Psalm 34, verse 1, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless, who's ever been helpless, take heart. Three times, I will. I will, soul. So I will praise. I will boast. I will. Come on, soul. Then a few verses later in verse 6, he says, In my desperation, I prayed. And the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. There it is. His praise and his prayer. Psalm 138. Verse, I, I, had so much, I had to take out half my message because I found too many. Lots of places. Lamentations, the same. You can find it in the Lamentations. Find it everywhere in the Bible. I, here's Psalm 138. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart, before the gods... I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple. I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. You can find it over and over in the Psalms. Prayer and praise. Praise and prayer. Prayer and praise. It's David's pattern, but it's more than David's pattern because it appears throughout the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament. So therefore, it's not just a pattern, it's a principle. And if something is a biblical principle, then it means it doesn't just work for David, it works for us today. Good old Winifred discovered that many years ago. Poor way did on those difficult nights. I prayed and I worshipped. Wow. wow. I find one of the mysteries about our relationship with God, and there's many of them, let me tell you, I've got lots of mysteries that I don't quite know how to explain. But in our, sometimes in our most difficult times of life, in our times of discouragement, our times of grief, other times we often get a fresh revelation of God's great love and his faithfulness and all those other wonderful things. 
See, when we command our soul to pray, to worship, to praise, no matter what we're going through, no matter how our soul tells us we should be feeling, our soul gets more in tune with God. And I've discovered that hope and faith begin to rise again in my life. Did anyone else see the movie Dunkirk last year? Dunkirk, three of us. But the, what about the movie The Darkest Hour? Who saw them both? I saw them both. Great movies. If you haven't seen them, watch them. The only disappointment for me about both of those movies, neither of them gave the full story about what really happened and that huge success of the Dunkirk evacuation. In 1940, by May 1940, World War II had been going for almost a year and the Allied troops were in such a bad situation they'd been beaten right back to the, the coast of France and Belgium right again, and they, they had nowhere else to go. They were facing certain defeat. They were a colossal loss of life. In fact, it could have almost been said, many believe there might have been almost entire annihilation of the whole army. Around half a million people were trapped over there. The only thing to do was the, the guys decided, and Churchill hadn't been in, in his role for very long at that time, but he thought if we try hard, we might be able to get 20 or 30,000 of them back and we're just going to have to, somehow we're going to lose the rest of them. But the King of England, King George VI, he, he realized the absolute desperation and impossibility of the situation. So on May the 25th, on the Saturday, he called the whole nation to a day of prayer the following day, Sunday, 26th of May. And so what happened was on Sunday, 26th of May, millions of people flocked to churches right throughout Britain and in some of the other parts of the Commonwealth that had heard about it. The king himself went to Westminster Abbey with some of the government cabinet ministers and prayed. There were huge crowds lining up in many, many churches. In fact, so many places around the nation, they couldn't get into the churches because they were so packed full of people had to stay outside during this time, and they prayed. At the same time, the king put out a call, or I don't know if the king did or someone else, to put a, probably church, or put a call out for as many boats that could be possibly uh, brought together to go and, and begin to try and get some people back from across the channel. For some reason, Hitler ordered the halt of his armed forces and all his armored columns, and he thought, well, you know, all we need to do is use the Luftwaffe, and they'll just be able to bomb all the people that are left. I won't need to use my men so they can stay back a little way. Two days after that day of prayer, on the Tuesday, a furious storm broke out around Flanders and in, in Belgium there. It grounded the Air Force, the Luftwaffe, so they couldn't fly any of their planes. At the same time, the same furious storm gave the uh, soldiers the cover to be able to make all their way on foot to the shores of, of France and, and towards Dunkirk to be evacuated. The day after the storm, Wednesday, there was a huge calm that came right across the, the British Channel. It was, some say it was almost like a mill pond. It was so still, it became exceptionally calm. It allowed over 800 boats from little dinghies right up to bigger ones to ferry back and forth, taking soldiers back to England. By the time the German 
army was finally ordered to renew its attack. An incredible 338,000 troops had been rescued. Not 20 or 30,000, 338,000. Was it just good luck? No. The the phrase, the miracle of Dunkirk, began to be bandied around. Even church themselves began to use those words in the ensuing days. And on the Sunday, the 9th of June, just a couple of weeks later, the king again called for a national day of thanksgiving and praise, where again millions and millions packed the churches to give praise God for his intervention. Why wasn't that put in the movies, Hollywood? How did it turn around? Prayer. But what did they do after that? Praised. Prayer and praise. Praise and prayer. Two wonderful biblical principles. Listen to me. Don't let your soul dictate your praise and your worship and your prayer. If I did that, I would hardly ever pray. I would hardly ever worship. I would hardly ever praise. Because there are many occasions I don't feel like it whatsoever. Instead of letting your soul dictate your praise and your worship and your prayer, let your prayer and your praise and your worship dictate to your soul. Command your soul. Soul, pray. Come on, Paul, call out to God. Soul, worship. Come on, Paul, worship the Lord. Call out to him and worship. Soul, praise the Lord. Come on, Paul, praise God. When we do it, we're not just in tune with the pattern that David discovered. We're locking into a proven biblical principle. You know something? Your circumstances might change or your circumstances might not change, but you'll certainly be transformed in the midst of it all as you lift your eyes towards the Lord. Get in tune with Him, with your prayer, your worship, and your praise. Can we stand for a moment? Around this building, can we close our eyes this morning? I said, Paul, that's, that's, you know, it's a basic old, you know, message. That's just prayer and praise. Yeah, we know. Just for a few moments, let's have a couple of moments of quietness. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you in any way, shape, or form this morning, either through my words or in, in spite of my words, or if he hasn't yet, just ask him to right now. Holy Spirit, we're saying, please come and speak into our hearts. That we don't just have something we've taken into our soul today, into our mind. But you do your work, which is beyond. And you work in our spirit. You transform us from the inside. Our body, soul, and spirit, wholly sanctified, set apart for you. Just wait for a couple of moments.
Holy Spirit, if there's something that we need to do as a result of this today, just an action step or two, help us to take them. Thank you, Lord, today for your great undying love for each one of us. And right now, Lord, give us remembrance of things that you've done for us in the past that we can be giving you worship and praise for today. If nothing yet from today, something you've done which we can bring to mind and say, God, I want to worship you and praise you because you did this. You helped me kill that bee. You helped me kill that lion. You helped me with that Goliath in my life. You helped me with that. You helped me through that situation. I thought there was never any end. But thank you today. We lift you up. You are the one that we adore.